Now more than ever, people need to go within and plug into that cellular memory, plug into divine source, detach as much as possible from the matrix. Hello again, everybody. This is James Bartley, and you're listening to Bartley's Commentaries on the Cosmic Wars. I have a lot to talk about this segment, Afghanistan. It's a way of kind of bringing everything current, caught up. And Afghanistan is always a great place to start. Afghanistan is where empire, <laughs> empires go to die. I mean, it's, it's not a joke. I mean, Alexander the Great, a lot of the people from ancient times knew it was just a crappy place to be. A lot of the bases that people hear nowadays, Bagram, uh, Kandahar, those were logistical, originally logistical bases set up by Alexander in his campaign. And it just shows you the foresight of that general that the places he selected would become in modern times, quote-unquote, like massive military air base supply complexes, which were all conveniently turned over to the Taliban, like seemingly a paradox. I mean, they've only been (laughs) battling these guys for like 20 years or so. And suddenly, I guess, hostilities cease. The CIA director... It's been so many since like the 80s and stuff. I don't even keep track of the whoever the resident reptilian sewer scum running the agency is these days. It's just one of them, right? Another reptile. But whoever this particular reptile was, he flew into Afghanistan and met with the leader of the Taliban two days before this so-called suicide bombing. And I don't know why... Even surface-level researchers just buy these official narratives when all the media is in bullfrog's chorus saying all the same thing. Okay, that that's a red flag for me, right? So maybe the guy was a suicide bomber. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe there was charges planted. Uh, maybe and this happened many times before. Uh, the suicide bomber was really just narco-hypnotized carrier pigeon, so to speak, loaded up with charges. At any rate, the U.S. Marines present, they were advised of a countdown. They were told ahead of time there was a quote-unquote suicide bomber, and he had explosives strapped to a vest. He was going to be approaching the checkpoint, right? And the Marines went through a countdown in their headsets, right up to the time this thing exploded. But whether it was a suicide bomber, a narco-hypnotized fanatic type, whatever the case may be, like roadside planted, whatever, the end result was the same. Highly symbolic, there happened to be 13 casualties, and then that just set the stage for everything else. But the fact that the CIA director was there two days before the charge going off, meeting the leader of the Taliban, who the CIA essentially created in the first place. It's just like nothing even unusual but a meeting between the Taliban chief and the CIA chief. It's just the timing, of course, that stinks. And then the charge goes off, pandemonium sets in, but that's like what the world perceives as pandemonium, right? 
in any normal planet, if you're going to evacuate a base, you take with anything that could be used by a potential future enemy. You don't just leave it there. Air bases, supply depot complexes can be built in short order and made quite large. By the Saudi bin Laden group, for example, that's a whole other story. Point of relevance is it doesn't take that much effort to haul away most of the equipment and then just destroy, leave in place and destroy the rest. Like, armies do that all the time. So, all that stuff, brand new, was given to the Taliban. And just like pulling out another playing card, suddenly ISIS is at issue again, right? And suddenly Al-Qaeda and ISIS, or rather the Taliban and ISIS, they become mortal enemies when they're all just the same large controlled group of Muslim fanatics. That's where, I don't want to say it brings it full circle, but it helps to go back 20, 30 some odd years. I like to look at things from a historical perspective. Okay, let's go back to the disastrous Jimmy Carter presidential administration. His national security advisor was Vignal Brzezinski. Now, surface-level historians, quote-unquote, like to describe Brzezinski as like this anti-Russian fanatic, Russophobe. Well, maybe, maybe not. Being Polish, I'm sure he didn't... I don't know what he would think about him. Probably not too many good things, but that's why they're surface-level historians. The real historians know that Brzezinski is probably playing to a different sheet of music. After all, he was the national security advisor uh, for Carter. It was Brzezinski who founded the Trilateral Commission. The Council on Foreign Relations is really the ideological uh, heart, if you will, of these heartless bastards. Let me rephrase that. The Council on Foreign Relations is the uh, institutional, uh, ideological center for American wannabe big-shot politicians, dignitaries, military people, etc., etc. Many of you know it's, it's a branch. It's the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Chatham House, in England. And then David Rockefeller decided to form a branch called the Council on Foreign Relations in America. The Trilateral Commission, on the other hand, is the economic, financial uh, linchpin for many decades. It became a focal point for coordinating the efforts of the major industrialized, technologically advanced countries, nation-states within this worldwide uh, globalist system. So the Council on Foreign Relations provided the ideological, dogmatic basis for world communist state, and the Trilateral Commission, founded by Zvigna Brzezinski, provided the economic, financial muscle, if you will, the infrastructure, uh, capitalizing on the Bretton Woods arrangements after, or actually, World War II was still raging when the Bretton Woods arrangements were um, put together. Trilateral Commission just 
expanded upon that, if you will. And if you want to read a good book, read Trilaterals Over Washington. I think it's written by Anthony Sutton, one of his books. Again, really good read. So he knew that in the overall scheme of things, if you get the Arab Muslim world engaged in a big way and just pull out all the stops, wars, uh, mass migrations, which is what's going on now. In the past, we saw forced migrations. Ancient times, uh, Gaelic tribes being pushed westward by invading Germanic tribes, right? Getting Caesar involved. Uh, more recently, the German people and well, basically anyone of Western European stock uh, when the Soviet Red Army came in, uh, what a hellish experience that might have that must have been. And those people were were pushed back, displaced, but it was by force, right? Large numbers of people were fleeing, trying to avoid their own extinction. Okay, what we're seeing now is conditions are set up control all along the way all you know the the entire world this is one big transportation hub and then they just selectively and like in mass just bring in the the worst kinds of violent offending entity infested immigrants you can imagine because all political correctness aside, some races are more violent and entity infested than others. This is the way it is. There's no point in sugarcoating it. <laughs> Who cares if somebody gets infested? Right? That's just the way it is. Entity infestation, hosting, uh, overabundance of non human bloodline, DNA, all those things combined to create a certain type of people. And so, the powers that be have made it a point that those types of people, and for their purposes, conveniently uh, co-located in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf and places like that, they get accessed and their all those onerous characteristics and behaviors are weaponized. These are mucked up reptile cultures we're talking about. Child brides, right? All that evil, wicked reptile crap. That's being imported. Lock, stock, and barrel. And that really gained impetus, that whole project with Brzezinski. Surface level historians will say, well, especially ones that don't have a conspiratorial bent, so-called, will say, well... Brzezinski hated Russians so bad, he wanted to manipulate things to sucker the Soviets into Afghanistan and then give them, in his own words, Brzezinski's own words, give them their own Vietnam. Why not, I guess, right? A quick word about the recent culture of Afghanistan, you know, back then, pre-Soviet occupation, which I'm getting to, is that one of the philosophies, religions, call it what you will, that f I wouldn't say flourished, but was quite common 
in Afghanistan and Central Asia in general was Sufism, basically a, a peaceful, enlightening, uplifting type of spiritual discipline philosophy, which was supplanted brutally, deliberately, by CIA and allied intelligence agency manipulation of the of the Muslims in the use of Saudi petrodollars to build the madrasas, the uh, what became the Taliban schools essentially. But don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So surface level historians, okay. They say that Brzezinski did it because he hated the Russians or the Soviets or whatever. But I would think it played to a wider sheet of music. And this is where it gets really interesting. So Brzezinski comes up with this plan to lure the Soviets into an overt invasion of Afghanistan. He succeeds, right? The Afghan government and military had been taken over by commies, no doubt with Soviet help in Afghanistan. And the Muslim population absolutely detested the uh, the commies for their usual, you know, behaviors like land reform and confiscations and, you know, just eradication of the potential domestic opposition, etc., etc. Uh, they were pretty ruthless, the Afghani commies, the military and the police forces. So the Muslims hated them and the CIA and affiliated secret services began helping the uh, Muslim fighters, the Muslim rebels, and it grew from helping the rebels, the uh, various tribes, uh, largely tribes, that were battling against the communist government in Afghanistan. The Soviet Union felt that their Soviet client government in Afghanistan was tottering, was on the verge of um, annihilation at the hands of the uh, Muslim freedom fighters of various tribes and stripes. So the Soviets intervened. Christmas Eve, December 24, 1979, in a brilliantly executed, in many ways, operation to take over, like, Kabul airport and other places, uh, the Soviet military, Soviet airborne troops, Soviet spetnaz, they all did a fine job taking over Afghanistan. So that was the first phase of Brzezinski's plan. Brzezinski takes credit for it, right? That's another thing that bugs me about this. The Soviets may have wanted to take over Afghanistan no matter what Brzezinski wanted no matter how much Brzezinski hated the Soviets or the Russians, right? The Soviets would have done what they wanted because it's all being choreographed at a much higher level than mere nation states, as we all know. So the Soviets move in, officially occupy Afghanistan to prop up and supposedly be in support of their client uh, communist military and government in Afghanistan. 
So what the so-called West does in response, under the guise of fighting communism, the spread of communism, but really playing to another sheet of music, which the establishment historians will just dismiss as like fantasy or something, even though all the facts support it. What the U.S., Israel, a number of other allied countries, the British, of course, the French to a large degree also, but anyway, just sticking to the Anglo, you know, side of things. They began recruiting what they call the Afghan Legion. See, the homegrown native, whatever tribe they were that were fighting the communist Afghanistan government, whatever tribe or alliance they came from, you know, they didn't see themselves as a unified front. They didn't see themselves all as Afghanis. They were just their own particular tribe or whatever the case may be, grouping, right? Well, that was called the Mujahideen, the Mujahideen, the struggle, the jihad against the infidel, right? And the infidel were the commies and the invading Soviets. So that was the original resistance. What the CIA and affiliated secret services did was they did a, a recruiting campaign and brought in like the most fanatic, like demented Muslims from all over the place, trained them up, and then sent them off to fight the Soviets in Afghanistan and wherever, wherever else they may need them, right? Not only do they recruit, equip, train, and finance, and this also had to do with, you know, the poppy, you know, trade, the opium trade too, that's a big part of this as well. But they also began the academy system, which historians know is like the Sharia schools, the madrasas. This is where they taught and brainwashed and inculcated even more fanaticism and zealotry into um, young kids, essentially, in these madrasas. Uh, many of them in Pakistan, financed by uh, Saudi petrodollars, uh, CIA and the Paki Intelligence Service, ISI, oftentimes working in those days with the Bank of Credit, Credit and Commerce International, the infamous BCCI, which may have played a role in, in helping to finance and and uh, supply with intelligence and uh, material materials the a guy Khan who developed the uh, Pakistani uh, atomic weapons program uh, but anyway these madrasas are set up and then they find the, <laughs> the most whacked out entity infested clerics so-called right to teach at these these schools, and the kids are routinely punished and you know raped and abused and what have you, because it is that element of that type of sewer scum culture, where that kind of thing is the norm basically, right? Because again, not all races are equal. Some were rather medieval or prior to that in um, mental and indeed spiritual orientation. Okay, we're. We're talking about the backwater of the the, the planet now, okay, the globe. I don't want to offend any of the flat earthers out there. But 
we're talking severe backwardness, brutishness, savagery, right? Uh, which I'm going to get to later because that's part of the big Kotenhof Galergi to just flood the West with these marauding, raping, acid-throwing. But I'm getting ahead of myself again. So they set these madrasas up and they find the just most whacked out, entity infested clerics that teach these boys, turn them into, you know, proper young, you know, suicide bombers or something, right? Um, that's not, I don't know, that's the graduation present maybe in some of those schools where they give them, a, you know, explosives vest or something. But so the CIA, BCCI is funneling all these petrodollars into the Pakistani ISI run madrasa schools but they're just churning out every every year like new graduates of these fanatics just turning them loose many of them you know go on to fight against the Soviets and, and many don't and many are you know utilized and trained probably mind controlled more than they already are more, more than they already were to do other things because then the segues into the war on terror the bad bogus aspect it's just been this never ending demented lizard Truman show for like when I first became aware of the depth and the scale of just how bad it was on this planet right but after seeing it like for decade after decade that's I mean that's consistency right you just, I, I hate to say give credit where credit's due, but, you know, maybe for whatever reason, they didn't want to do the old school um, operation of just invading, wiping out, and using advanced technology or whatever to subjugate an entire planetary population or maybe population of a whole star system. Here, for whatever reason, this time around, because this was not, you know, not potentially the first time the human race faces extinction. These beings, they said no. On, on this particular operation, we'll let the herd grow and grow and get dumber and we'll progressively genetically dump them down further and fuse more and more entities into them. And right, and just every every structure, every form of architecture they have will have some. Something energetically, numerology, numerologically, something to benefit us and like keep them down because they're just dumb animals, insects to these super scum entities that are currently running the show here. Watching this progress decade after decade now, as long as I've been aware of this. So now, the CIA have got hordes of what they call the Afghan Legion, which they euphemistically refer generic, generically as the Mujahideen. But as I pointed out, the original Mujahideen were the ones that were living in Afghanistan at the time the commies took over, right? And were fighting to retake the country, even though they were all a bunch of different tribes. And what happened now was, then they made this larger Mujahideen, from fanatics drawn from all over the Muslim world, right? You know, Africans, Arabs, uh, 
you know, from Indonesia and other places, anyone who is a, you know, a Muslim willing to answer the call of, the call of jihad was welcome, right? And this cast a wide, wide web, and it just worked so well for them for so many years. So, the Soviets are engaged in a, a long, brutal guerrilla war. I mean, there's no quarter asked, none given. Uh, these horror stories. And, and the Soviets, like every occupying army, have committed, had committed their share of atrocities. Not least of which was leaving like so many bazillions of mines laying around. But, you know, within the context of war, and to give you some insight into the mentality and the, the savagery of the so-called Mujahideen, right? And see, that's another misnomer, too. So when people say Afghan refugees, well, what kind of Afghan refugees? I was talking about tribes earlier. Well, there was like Uzbeks, there were Chechens, there were, Chechens, there were Tajiks, there was just all different. And then you get down by the, um, you know, the frontier areas, Baluchistan. I mean, we're just talking, those are tribes. They go, you, got, you go back far enough in places like Baluchistan, they fought against Alexander, okay? That's what I'm talking about. All these people have known just for centuries, for 2,000 years and longer, and just prolonged warfare, conflict, brutality. It's like they never progressed beyond that stage, basically. And so now they're casting a wider net. Anyone in the Muslim rule who's a fanatic and they can, you know, further mind control, they bring them to the fold and not just send them to Afghanistan, but wherever they need them, anywhere in the world as a suicide bomber or whatever the case may be, right? So, because you have to understand that there were other things going on at the time too, which I don't want to spend too much time on, but, you know, things were being done against the U.S. and against U.S. interests, you know, par for the course, but specifically tied to the Middle East, you know, making their situation vulnerable in, in the Middle East. And uh, that, a lot of that came later in, you know, the Carter administration. Uh, of course, the hostages were taken in the Carter administration. Uh, there was so much going on. It was an interesting tapestry of events, so many of them interconnected, right? But I just don't want to go off on too many tangents. So where was I? Oh, yes. Well, to give you one example, a number of captured and those who survived, uh, Soviet soldiers who were captured by the Mujahideen, some of them, not, well, not, not only did some of them die in captivity, uh, but many of them became sex slaves, where they would be like chained up and gang raped by hordes of Mujahideen. And some of those Soviet guys, they went mad. I mean, if they survived the ordeal, they went mad, okay? So, eventually, and that was kind of a metaphor for what happened, you know, to the Soviet occupation in general in many ways. Eventually, the Soviets leave because it just wasn't worth that much expenditure in, in, in soldiers and equipment, in money, right? They pull out. It leaves a predictable power vacuum.
Now, who's been over there setting up the, like the madrasas and setting up and arming the original mujahideen and then sending in, training up the second mujahideen of fanatics from all over the world? The former group, the domestic, let's say, the native of whatever tribe, but the native uh, resistance to the Afghan commies, uh, mostly made up of Muslims. Their greatest leader was a tribal chieftain commander named Ahmed Shah Massoud, who was known as the Lion of Panjir. I mean, this guy, in his far as leader of, of uh, an alliance of tribes in a war to regain your country, or at least get rid of these bloody commies, right? Ahmed Shah Massoud was top shelf. He was supplied by the CIA, and they provided him advisors, ex-U.S. Special Forces and ex-British SAS, trained Massoud's forces. His was probably the, the most effective fighting force against the Soviet, uh, the first, the, the communist government control, and then also the Soviet occupation, uh, the line of Panjir. Uh, the guy was revered, but the power vacuum happens, right? And, you know, again, follow the bouncing ball. Masood was the big hero. Uh, CIA and the U.S., the Brits, they gave him everything he wanted. And then the power vacuum occurs with the withdrawal of the Soviet Union. And instead of backing their boy, Ahmed Shah Massoud, what happens? The CIA, this is during the Clinton administration now, right? And we kind of, I kind of jumped the Reagan administration, in, you know, but just that's when the, most of the rearming of the... Uh, uh, the Mujahideen and all that madrasa school stuff, that, that's when most of that took place. And then it, it was passed on seamlessly to the Clinton administration. Anyway, Afghanistan becomes a place renowned uh, for terrorist training camps. And shortly before the attacks, the false flag attacks of September 11th, 2001. In fact, just a few days before that, Ahmed Shah Massoud, the Lion of Panjir, he gets bumped off. Of course, it's blamed on Al-Qaeda, which is like an inside joke uh, on top of an inside joke on top of an inside joke. Al-Qaeda means the base, i.e. the database. It was the, literally the CIA database where they kept track of all the crazed jihadis. They were recruited from all over the world. That's what Al-Qaeda was. And so they conveniently blamed the assassination of Ahmed Shah Massoud, who used to be their boy. They conveniently blamed that on Al-Qaeda, quote-unquote, a few days before 9-11. At the outset of the bogus war on terror, when we were getting the 24-7 uh, news propaganda blitz, we kept hearing about the Northern Alliance, the Northern Alliance, who were suddenly the good guys in this whole war against global terror. But the Northern Alliance would most likely have been commanded or had been influenced in some way 
by the aforementioned Ahmed Shah Massoud. But they didn't want charismatic, uh, winning, uh, full of integrity type of tribal chieftains. They wanted fanatics, they wanted Wahhabists. Uh, so Massoud didn't fit that mold. Hence his assassination. And then you fast forward to today and you see the baneful effects of shifting around large numbers of Afghans, right? And who knows how much training and how much warfare and that these Afghans bring to the table besides the usual rapaciousness and misogyny. A female U.S. Army soldier, normally based out of Fort Bliss, Texas, but temporary duty at this resettlement center. See, the Department of Defense, talk about an oxymoron there, the Department of Defense has taken on the first 35,000 Afghan male intake, and they settled them in a number of military installations uh, until they decide where they ultimately want to turn them loose at, right? And like I said before, I mean, they may start flooding into swing state areas or places that are even predominantly red in America just to, you know, muddy the waters and bring chaos. But anyway, at one of these resettlement centers of this, the first 35,000 Afghans, a group of Afghan men assaulted a female U.S. Army soldier, uh, normally based out of Fort Bliss, but doing temporary duty in New Mexico at one of these DOD resettlement centers for the Afghans. So all the the rapes and the attacks and, and the woman said that she wasn't raped but she was attacked okay she was just showing up to work for the midnight shift and these sewer scum afghans jumped her right and we're going to see a lot more of that that's the whole idea so the next 35,000 uh, will, will be coming in any time may already have arrived in America by now uh, this was a major airlift, a major airlift of Afghans. The Americans, they didn't care. They let them, supposedly, uh, if there's st any still alive left over there, they're being hunted down by the Taliban. Right? So, it's just a dreadful situation. We must remember the tie-in to September 11th, 2001. Sadly and pathetically, if that's a word, there is still many military people and or ex-military people who still haven't figured out that Al-Qaeda was not responsible for the attacks on September 11th, 2001 in New York City, Manhattan, and the Pentagon and all these other places. But they want to cling on to their, you know, la-la fantasies because that it helps hold their fragile consciousness and their fragile psyches in place by uh, believing in such absurdities it somehow absolves them of any responsibility for the part they played in this friggin mess we're in this deep smell situation but hey I know my listeners and I know a lot of you out there 
would have signed up for this gig any day of the week, and no matter what dimension or plane of reality you were in. Because even though for some of us we, we get caught up in the uh, pitiable cycle of reincarnation here, and live a bunch of lives, some of them probably quite brutal, well, it all prepared us for this period of time we're in now. Not saying that the final curtain is, is coming up, but maybe the act or a couple of acts before the rising of the final curtain. So things are getting interesting. So back to Afghanistan. If you look at the way this was allowed to develop, it's an old template. They've just kind of fast-forwarded where the Taliban are concerned, but, I mean, there's books like The Best Enemy Money Can Buy, uh, Anthony Sutton, classic book, just goes into detail about how the U.S. Uh, government and industry basically powered up the Soviet Union, turned them into a global superpower. And then you have examples where uh, the U.S. literally helped Mao and his commie Chinese, which are causing so many issues these days, win on mainland China. A uh, number of times, the nationalist forces under Chiang Kai-shek pretty much had Mao's communist armies dead to rights. But, timely U.S. intervention the withholding of arms to Shang's forces and secretly supplying and arming of the communists uh, on the other hand well that and um, some other things led to Mao's forces taking over mainland China and Shang's forces retreating to Formosa which became Taiwan and then you just fast forward to what's happened recently. Think of all the different military bases that the U.S. Uh, through companies like Halliburton, Dyncor, and Bechtel, and all these other construction firms, Brown and Root, uh, etc., etc., just getting these whopping contracts to build these huge bases in Afghanistan, like Bagram. Kandahar and other places and then they just conveniently like leave a lot of working equipment there, some of it brand new to the Taliban it's, it's essentially no different than what they've already done in the past it was just so much more blatant this time, like they just don't even care anymore about they, they know that the public will accept any lie no matter how nonsensical so there could be potentially thousands of Americans, including thousands of, of American kids there. And the, and the children of uh, special visa holders, uh, basically, uh, they're working for the Americans. Now, the U.S. had no problems uh, airlifting out hordes of uh, Afghani males. Uh, and I'm sure in that mix there are going to be lots of rapists and acid throwers and 
you know, child molesters and uh, child bride takers and the whole bit, right? The Afghan penchant for cruelty. Uh, I, I mean, Kipling was writing poems about that stuff way back when, and other people, right? When the British Army was gallivanting around in Afghanistan back in the day. So the cruelty of at least a segment of the tribal populations of Afghanistan are well known. It was well known, the Afghan National Police in particular, were known pedos. They would have parties with little boys dressed up as little girls and they'd you know, be in a big circle clapping their hands and singing and the, the boy would you know, have to perform tricks and would be passed around basically. Was, and the Americans and the Brits and the other coalition forces, they, they knew all about it because these were the uh, you know, sewer scum they would go out on patrols with or uh, you know, do their arresting for them, etc., etc. So the, you know, the behavior of uh, you know, a lot of the Afghans was well known to um, the, the current uh, military uh, forces, recent military forces in Afghanistan. It's all part of the Kodenhof Kalergi plan, the flooding of uh, the Western democracies with hordes of unassimilatable, if that's a word, uh, foreigners, uh, misogynistic, uh, with a fanatical religious creed rapacious you just look what previous hordes of Afghans have done all over Germany and all over Scandinavia I mean they've just gone to town right? so you can see where the strategy is going this is classic asymmetrical warfare similar to what they did when they you know, attempted to destroy Syria they created this refugee crisis and then they just labeled every uh, jihadi and uh, zealot that they could find, call them all Syrian refugees, the real Syrian refugees that were battered and maimed and you know who had lost their families and lost their possessions, lost everything. No, they didn't get to go. They just saw the Salafis, all the Wahhabists, all the uh, complete whack job Sunni types. Yeah, they just sent them to the West just as part of this they've amped up what they used to call the global war of tension which basically featured insurgencies, counterinsurgencies and controlled terrorist groups now it's just gone everything it's accelerated and scaled up in a big way with these uh, migrant invasions all over the place Many of them, not only are they fanatic, misogynist, zealots, headhunter types, but many of them have had military training, uh, served in one or more uh, Middle Eastern uh, militaries, involved in war, uh, constant war in many cases. So they gave precedence, of course they would, to that demographic all those Afghani males, right? Nary a woman or a child with them, they're just all adult males, they look like. And they just ship them over, and what they're going to do in America, for sure, like the swing states, or places where 
certainly they're going to flood into the blue cities and the blue states, but they're going to want to undermine places that are uh, more conservatively inclined. So they'll by hook and crook, they'll the feds will get in as many of these Afghanis into all the places they need them in America. So that's that's pretty much a given. I mean, you go back to Oklahoma City with Timothy McVeigh, right? Who was he riding around with, or at least some of the people, his accomplices, uh, in that whole moving van drama? Well, some of the other John Doe 2s and John Doe 3s were described as Iraqi in appearance, because what George the Elder, Lizard Boy, did was... After the first annihilation of Iraq, he brought hordes of uh, ex-Iraqi military, uh, many with intelligence, many with uh, special forces kind of backgrounds, right? Brought them lock, stock, and barrel in one of the places they wound up en masse was Oklahoma of all places, right? And clustered around Oklahoma City, too. So they just, you know, moved these guys here, there, and everywhere. But now, with the uh, asymmetrical warfare going on, yeah, we're going to give all these Afghani males who we know will you know, conduct all these attacks against uh, you know, the Western populations. And then we'll just keep the Americans, uh, hold them back, keep them in Afghanistan. On any normal planet or any kind of situation where the military would be acting normally, Right, they would have guarded, zealously guarded, all those ammunition dumps, and, you know, vehicle depots, etc., etc. Now, some people may be asking, well, you know, what can these relatively primitive, you know, Taliban, you know, what could they do with helicopters, for example, right? Well, you know, some of them can fly them, but also they can always hire help because they're getting heavily funded by the CIA and and all that. So that is already playing itself out. The Afghan invasion, um, reverse in invasion in this case, right? September 11, 2001, and then the, the phony uh, parachute drop on on an airfield to get the whole dramatic thing going. Now, fast forward to the present, yeah, the Afghan uh, males will continue to stream, stream out of Afghanistan into the West. They'll keep the hostages in Afghanistan. And in China, benefits in a great way through this conveniently, right? Because China is building their uh, Belt and Road Initiative, and one of the places they're going through is, uh, you know, Afghanistan, and they're there with their own arms and their own military buildup and, and what have you. So, depending on how they want to play it, whether the Chinese will go along with the uh, uh, greater Israel, Haaretz, Israel agenda of 
essentially balkanizing uh, the Middle East and the Persian Gulf, uh, destroying some countries you know, outright and balkanizing others and uh, turning over you know vast swaths of that entire region over to militant Sunnis under their control. Uh, anyway, getting back to China, China can play this any number of ways. If they want to go the greater Aretz Israel route, they can, they can do that at the expense of their ally and business partner, Iran, if in the overall scheme of things, uh, creating another front, another Sunni front in the war against Iran uh, would be beneficial to all parties concerned. Okay, I'm just throwing out that out as a possibility. Uh, the possibility exists and has to be accounted for. Now they're spinning it all out. Now the Taliban is at war with ISIS and both controlled assets. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous like everything else the corporate media says these days. Another way that China can benefit is by you know, they're strong enough. They've pretty much set up their own financial system uh, to some degree to be sure it, it interlinks with the, the, the Rothschild Empire but and the Chinese are known to be in debt and some would say insolvent but in practice it really doesn't matter because they they control so many resource rich places around the world uh, the US industry is, is a cord out husk what it used to be Right. Uh, at least Trump. One thing you can say about him is he made an effort to, you know, get industry kickstarted in America again. Right. So anyway, if China decides to not help in destabilizing Iran, using Iran as as a bulwark, a framework, if you will, to really solidify its Belt and Road Initiative in that region at the expense of the U.S. See, Israel, and this goes back to what Henry Kissinger said too, uh, a lot of people, myself included, were kind of baffled when he said it at the time, something to the effect that, oh, in 10 years' time, Israel will cease to exist as a nation or will no longer uh, exist. Words to that effect, you could look it up. And I thought about that, and, oh, wow, you know couldn't really make heads or tails of it at the time. I just said, okay, well, Lizard Boy usually knows what he's talking about, right? Henry Kissinger, so just put it on the back burner for now and you know, figure it out later. Well, now we know, okay? You look what's what's happened to Israel. It's, uh, uh, their country is uh, it's just being torpedoed, right? So, at least keeping, you know, the population there happy is, is no longer part of the agenda. So they've thrown them under the bus, basically. Not the big shots, of course. Not the hereditary bloodline, you know, rulership. I'm talking about them. Just talking about the rank and file. Remember, Israel is a militarized state. It's like everyone, you know, up to a certain age is, is in the IDF, right? So... Let's say that China decides to use Iran as an asset 
to solidify its hold in the region at the expense of the U.S., which is just a, a hollow shell of itself anyway. China has been making some bellicose statements lately. The thing about it is, the U.S. military has been deliberately weakened had its intellectual, institutional brain lopped off. Every good lesson that's ever been learned in the U.S. military has gone down the bog because it was corrupted from within so it would be a pushover later for the combined weight of the Chinese and potentially the Russians right, if they all decide, okay, this could be the next the next stage of the agenda, basically. We're going to see the dismantling of what's left of the U.S. military. Just annihilated in battle. Uh, just rent the center from within because of its wokeness. And the, it's not even infiltration anymore. The, the utter control of the, the communists in the military. And, and these generals who wrote years ago, not even really that long ago, warning about communism, the corruption from within. And see, that was the lesson of Senator Joseph, Joseph McCarthy. Joseph McCarthy was there to get everyone fed up on the whole concept of of reds under the beds, of commies everywhere causing all these problems. Right? He made the whole subject a taboo uh, subject after that. Meanwhile, the real communist who controlled everything, basically, or the controllers of the communists. They were just spreading their tentacles out throughout every branch of the U.S. government and every federal agency, including the military. And now look at the U.S. military. It'll be a pushover for the, uh, the Chinese and the Russians. Now the Taliban and the, the Chinese commies forging stronger links with each other and we're probably working and cooperating with each other going forward so the Taliban have the luxury of saying that a CIA or anyone that doesn't look remotely Chinese just basically tell them to, <laughs> to F off because the Chinese have got all the ducats these days you see they got everything going for them the Taliban for all intents and purposes, are now the uh, part of the proxy army of the, the Chinese commies. And parts of them may still be, even after the Chinese complete takeover of Afghanistan, that, that region basically, there are parts of the Taliban that may still be manipulated by the CIA. But the CIA director had just visited and met with the leader of the Taliban, and then two days later, all the carnage had happened. It's fast reaching a point where those people in the U.S. military that still have loyalty to the Constitution, that still have loyalty and, and self-respect and a moral courage, right? Either they'll do what they can to turn this thing around if they can resign, right, not be a part of it if you're an officer and you have that option. But at some point the coin has to drop and you have to realize that you're part of Sauron's army and you 
pretty much always have been. You've you've got a Secretary of Defense, this this Austin creature. He he could have been one of the characters at you know the cantina at Anchorhead, right, in Star Wars. See, the rank and file in the U.S. Army, just to cite one example, and, you know, the varying degrees in the Marines and the Navy and the Air Force, they're, they're, to they're totally into being a woke culture, right? To the point of, like, humiliation. And that's what it's all about. It's demoral. <laughs> it's demoralization. It's inner rot, inner decay. It's all creative destruction. It's all constructive destruction, if you will, from the standpoint of the controllers. So, the CIA, as long as the CIA still exists, will, will play a role in this, and it just shows how the game is played, right? The CIA director, he wouldn't be in there if he didn't know what the game plan was. So it's all a choreographed dance, a choreographed act. Right? It's like it's like the CIA handed off to the Chinese communists, right? Who basically own Afghanistan, own all the minerals, are negotiating with the, you know, the Taliban to be business partners, right? And of course the Taliban they, they run a significant chunk of the, the poppy trade too. So, you know they'll be good to go for a while, let's put it that way. See, this sets the stage for more terror attacks, because I mentioned earlier, now they spin it out. The Taliban are warring against ISIS, right? And, and they're both essentially CIA intelligence and now Chinese-controlled contr assets, right? Certainly ISIS in the recent past. That's just a recent invention. Just the rebranding. But now they're supposedly foes. It's silly, okay? We, we know it's silly. But it gives them the opportunity, especially with this mass influx of, of uh, you know, from Afghanistan and other places, uh, all the cartels coming up from the southern borders. It's, it's not just the sieve down there. Hordes of hardened cartel operatives just streaming into the U.S. You know, all the coyotes, the whole bit. Right? It's like beyond even the Red Dawn scenario, um, which they showed in cinema. Whatever units in all branches of the military that are in the slightest bit deemed undesirable, let's say, by the, the commie masters of the Pentagon, they'll either like hound them out of the service. And remember, as far as I know, if if someone gets a dishonorable discharge from the U.S. military, correct me if I'm wrong, but at, at least in some states, and it may be a federal uh, law now, mandate, that anyone dishonorably discharged from the U.S. military, uh, they lose their gun rights, right? And they, they will do things like that, this nitpicky thing, they can just, on a whim, you know, the VA will d decide somebody is, like, mentally unstable, and then they get their whole, you know, firearm collection confiscated, right? And if they can't hound them out of the service and browbeat them and 
psychologically abuse them to the point of like converting them well they'll just send them off on ops if even half-scale war with China breaks out they will just send those like loyal to the Constitution forces that are still left in the military and just send them off on a suicide mission and give them no support completely at the very least turn their backs on them but you know chances are the combat information systems all the computer systems they're, they're so corrupted now by backdoors and everything else I don't see how the US military in a large scale war could they're just meant to be destroyed deployed overseas in, the, in a war they cannot win and the National Guards and the Reserves and some of the military still in US continental US bases well the traitors in their, mic, in their midst just take them out right because that's what it'll be like. It'll it'll be a purge, a thick of the red terror, when the Bolsheviks took over Russia. That's the kind of purge that is going to happen. The people that are deemed in the slightest as being undesirables for whatever reason, religion, being too white, believing in things like the Constitution and nationhood. Yeah, the, the commies in their midst, and many of whom are senior non-coms, officers, high-ranking officers, some are probably generals and admirals by now, or, or in the pipeline to be that way, right? And they're not going to lift the sock to fight the Chinese communists. <laughs> None of those are. But they will happily send off, you know, elements of their forces they want to do away with anyway, Right? So there's going to be an internal purge, and there's going to be sending off U.S. forces to get slaughtered, basically, and probably even intentional jamming and screwing up of their electronics, of their communications. I mean, this has happened before. They'll just do it on a larger scale now, and it'll all be, you know, figuratively at a push of a button, you know, with digital twinning and, and all that stuff that they've had for a long time now. So the U.S. military goes down. With civilian resistance, I can see now why some of my U.S. Marine, my U.S. Marine buddies back in the day, like the, some of them were reading this book series. I think it was a trilogy. Um, it was about tri-states. Basically, apocalyptic scenario occurs. Uh, America is rent by civil war, and it divides and breaks up into like three territories or three states and there's just all this guerrilla warfare going on like Mad Max scenarios right and that may happen to some degree it's just such a vast country it's not going to be entirely even with this panopticon they won't be able to you know have the manpower and the forces to uh, you know go into remote areas that track down a few people right and then, I mean, they may try to zap them with, you know, weaponry or something, or, you know, directed energy or something like that. But so there's always going to be pockets of resistance. And yes, I can foresee, that we're already seeing it in many cities, 
that are just <laughs> no-go zones, right? It used to be, you know, they bring in all the Sharia and, and the Sunni types and the, uh, the Sunnis, Somalis, you know, people that have been warring and fighting for generations, right? Just bring them in willy-nilly into the U.S. and other places. So a lot of places, the, the, the native organic uh, crime and filth and uh, degradation in U.S. cities, especially blue cities, where they were intentionally allowed to or made to become that way. We'll see an expansion of that. Yeah, it'll get out of the cities into the countryside where there will be, you know, if not outright civil war, just armed Americans trying to protect themselves from the scum, right? But I'm getting ahead of myself. The military have a stark choice to make now, and they should have made this choice, frankly, a long time ago, right? Get in there, learn as much as you, you can about everything you can. Learn all these military soldiering skills. And then, at some point, decide not to be their pawn anymore. <clears throat> Get out and do your own thing. It has to do with traditional, good, wholesome, clean living, right? No tyrants and serious come around. Well, if you continue on your course, or you think you're somehow going to survive unscathed out of this, even if you're like an, what they call in the U.S. Marines a, a pencil-pushing pogue, you know, like an admin kind of guy or something. Well, they're getting rid of you guys and you gals too. If, uh, if you don't have that correct communist pedigree, right, in ideology and then discipline and obedience, forget about it. <clears throat> Going down. That's what these cops have got to know too of all countries. One thing the commies don't do is they don't share. Typically what they do is after they th completely take over a country, they'll even wipe out all the local communists who helped them take over in the first place. Right? Thank you, but your services are no longer required. That's how that game goes. So for all you cops out there of every country, don't think that you can say, you know, when the Chinese show up, Hey, wait a minute. I did all this stuff before you guys even got here. Oh, yeah, I'm a 32nd degree Freemason, too. Right? The Chinese commie commissar, you know, either through a translation or through through English, will say, and your point is, right? And that'll be that. Because they don't share. And there's way more of them than all the cops in all the Western countries in the world. There's way more Chinese. And they come with party fanatical discipline. You just ask any survivor of the uh, Korean War. You know, U.S. Army and U.S. Marines battling Chinese communists in the frozen tundra in the frozen rather friggin mountains and uh, northern North Korea hordes of Chinese blowing bugles 
ringing bells beating on drums, attacking in waves at night, in bitter cold, frostbite all over the place. They kept coming. That's what you military and law enforcement types have to reckon with. See, it's it's not just your mortal coil. Everyone's going to die at some point anyway. That's not even the worst part. The worst part is, in the first place, your immortal soul is comp compromised severely by doing evil things for evil forces. Just because you're a narcissist or just because you don't know any better or just because you're too much of a hybrid to know the difference. But you do it anyway because you don't have any any morality, any normal higher dimensional compassion or empathy. It's just absent, never there to begin with. It's not in your genetics. But you can still redeem yourselves. Because at some point, they're going to be pushing the stab on you. And it's not going to be a placebo or, sal or saline solution. Nope, not for... The reason why a lot of cops haven't been given the, j the stab yet is they still need their services, right? When the Chinese come, and if, you know, this trend continues with all these enablers and enforcers of the system, it'll bring about the possibility of that that much quicker, of an overt Chinese takeover. And they're just going to do away with the locals. I mean, that's, that's what the Bolsheviks did, too. This is what communists do. It's not just Chinese communists who do that. Look at their track record. Under Mao, they killed a hundred million of their own people, starved millions of them, imprisoned millions of them. Now they're just openly harvesting organs from dissidents, which could be anybody, right? You see, what people don't realize is you never, you don't hear much about this, but those of us with more of a Far Eastern background, let's say. I mean, the guy like Masaki Miyagawa could talk about this stuff for like hours, right? But the mysticism, esoterica, dragon bloodlines, hybrid, dragon Nagas type bloodlines that goes back to the Far East, Tibet, India, all those places, right? The kind of supernatural, wicked shit that ethnic Chinese have done for low these many millennia. I mean, there are large groups of them which, in my estimation, they're still here. They're hereditary rulers in running China and their operations. I feel that a significant uh, faction or clique of the Chinese ruling elite are absolutely 100% these serpent dragon people. Uh, Chinese ancient court people. Absolutely. And these people were into cannibalism and the whole bit. Mysticism. People think it's silly when they see it. I, I never get the title of the movie right, like Hidden Dragon, Crouching Tiger, or the other way around. But, uh, you know, I, I've never seen the movie in its entirety. I just saw bits of it. But, you know, all those, you know, Shaolin monk type aerobatics and stuff, right? And, you know, people think that's just silly stuff, but the things that the Falun Gong were alleged to have done, which is 
if there's any element of truth to that, the metaphysical powers that these Falun Gong people have, that alone is more than enough reason for the Chai Coms to hunt them down. And if you've ever seen that movie, Push, I've talked about this before, but in that movie they call, in the X-Men they would have called them mutants, but in Push it's just, well I guess these are mutants, is the... I would call them hybrids, but they have all these enhanced metaphysical powers. And there's this shadowy group agency called Division. And it's like a worldwide organization. Every country has a branch of Division, right? Which is a good name because that's all about divide, divide and conquer, division, you know, slice, fractionalize, right? So, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to spoil it for you. If you haven't seen Push yet, check it out. But, you know, check out some of the places where a lot of the conflict is taking place. It's in China. It's in places like that, right? Where all these mutants are battling each other. And it's one, you know, side of this enhanced human hybrid um, race, like the Chinese and then the non-Chinese, right? And you see them battling each other with their powers in that push movie. Well, things like that have gone on for ages. The, mag the Maguses, the Adepts, the Warlocks of uh, some Imperial Court, basically any time in human, recorded human history, they would have had their court sages. They would have had their court mystics. Warlocks. Dr. John D. Classic example. The original 007. That's how he sound, signed his name to Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth I. His signature, his code for himself was doubles, uh, 007. Right? He was the astronomer royal for Queen Elizabeth. He was doing, he was into all kinds of stuff. We're talking Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter type stuff. And the Chinese a particular inner clique of the Chinese, ruling Chinese, they're like this. This is what they do. Right. So, you know, people always overemphasize, I, I feel, the, the Western, you know, really dark, you know, wicked supernatural stuff that those ruling bloodline reptile uh, races do, right? That, Aside from all the crap they pull in the everyday surface world, right? Just the mystical power they have. Well, that is an important thing to remember. For all you people out there that have enhanced abilities, let's say. I'll elaborate more on this later in the members segment, but always remember, those of you that have metaphysical powers, if you find yourself in an inter interesting scenario, don't automatically assume you're having a dream. Okay? Because wherever you may be, whether it's in our physical reality or slightly out of phase of that, or whatever the case may be, if you're conscious, you're present, and you seem to have a body with you, yes, don't assume you're just having a dream, because you can affect a lot of meaningful change from those places. 
whether it's in this reality, slightly out of phase, alternate reality, little, you know, jump forward a little bit in time, jump back a little bit in time, right? Don't assume it's a dream. And always remember this, too. If you believe yourself to be invulnerable, if you believe yourself to be invincible, the astral dreamscape, right? And of course, the goal is to get out of the astral and get into higher, you know, realms, you know, causal realms and stuff, where you have to be so emotionally, spiritually advanced that, you know, you just can't have a bad moment or a bad day. You know, wake up grumpy, because in the causal plane, it's going to create chaos and havoc. So they're not going to let, you know, the system is set up, you know, there are frequency fences, if you will, that will keep, you know, these lower hothead types in the lower dimensions, in the lower planes, down there, until they can evolve to the point where they're worthy uh, of being in a causal plane. Well, we're, a lot of us, for the most of it, most part, we're still in the lower, you know, dimensions of the, the inner plane. Some of us can, at times, jump all realities, timelines, what have you. So, the point I'm making is, if you see opportunities, if you see, find yourself in a position where you think you can do something uh, unobtrusively, ideally, uh, not noticed, ideally, affect meaningful change. You know, by all means, go for it, and you go with that intention and the feeling of invulnerability, invincibility, and remember, you can always jump out of one situation or one dimension when you're in that state, right? Uh, you just intend it and you will it. Humans are capable of everything depicted in, in cinema and written about in folklore and in mythology. Just about everything supernatural, metaphysical, described in these ancient texts that, that humans are, or, or the, the heroes in these stories and the heroines in these stories can allegedly do. Well, it's like Jesus said, everything I can do, you can do greater, right? So, just keep all that in mind, because I didn't really have a lot of time to develop more of these uh, points I wanted to make about Afghanistan, about China, but I will, okay? Uh, so, thank you for listening to uh, Bartley's commentaries on the Cosmic Wars. If you like what we do, if you believe what we do, please go to thecosmicswitchboard.com, sign up and become a member, and we'll see the members at the top of the next segment.